Good morning, Central Church. How's everyone? Fantastic. You look great this morning. If you're watching us online this morning, whether it's our Facebook Live page or our website or on television, we're so glad you're joining us today. God bless you. Wherever you are, if you're on vacation, in your living room, uh, wherever you are, thanks for for tuning in. And for those of you that are here live, take out your your bulletin that you got on the way in and tear the perforation for me. And if you're new to Central, let me explain what we do with this. You're going to have two pieces of paper in your hand, the wide portion just has information on one side about upcoming events at the church. On the other side, you can, you can take notes of today's sermon, write down scripture references so you can look back on that during the week. The thin portion is a communication card. We'd love to get your contact information. If you've not given that to us yet, we can get you on the mailing list. Or if you need to update contact information, go ahead and do that now. But on the top of that sheet, if you have a prayer request, please write that down. We, we take the prayer seriously here at Central. We pray for these every week. Uh, these get sent out to dozens of people on our prayer list whose, whose ministry is primarily prayer. So they're praying for you as you write these things down. You can take that and drop it off in one of the boxes attached to any of the exit walls, uh, and it says prayer requests or offerings. If you have a physical offering you want to worship the Lord with this morning, uh, cash or a check, you can drop that off in the very same box. It's great to see you this morning. Um, if you're brand new, remember, make sure you go to our welcome desk in Grand Central um, to get that, that gift. And if, if you weren't planning on the picnic this afternoon after the 11 o'clock service, go home, change your clothes, come on back. We've got food trucks we're going to have and just have some, some time of friend, friendly gathering and, and fellowship together. So pray with me this morning. God, we praise you today. We thank you for the, the power of the Holy Spirit that's here. And Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to understand the scriptures. And so we expect that, we, we ask for that. But Lord, the Holy Spirit also heals and delivers and saves. So for those here this morning, Lord, in need of healing, in need of deliverance, in need of your power, would, Holy Spirit, would you just rest on your church today? Would you rest on your people today? Would you bring wholeness and healing and everything that they need today? to live a life that's pleasing to you. We thank you for your presence here, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in a series called The Life. It's a study in the Gospel of John. Uh, Take out your Bibles if you have one. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat back pocket in front of you or under the seat if you're up front. John chapter 14. We're going to jump in there in just a second. Every one of us struggles with transition. By uh, By transition, I mean change that we see coming, and we don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I went to Azusa Pacific University, and I played basketball there. And I, I remember uh, playing my freshman year, and we were senior heavy. We had a lot of seniors on the team. And they carried the load. Uh, they rebounded. They scored points. They, they, they did all the things that we needed to do to win. And I won't forget going into that first summer practice, getting ready for the fall, and, you know, there was no Gary Johnson. There's no Larry Shelton. Where, where did those guys go? How are we going to win a game this year without those guys that we, that we had last year? I'm just thinking, how are we going to do this? Maybe you've been in a church and, and you had a pastor that had been there for a long time or for a while, and you just love that pastor. Um, and he says that he's going to leave or he's going to resign. And you're just like, wait, 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 you can't do that. Like, you're our pastor. Uh, and, and the thought of church without that pastor is just devastating. It's like, how, how are we as church members going to make it? And you're thinking, well, who's the next person going to be that comes in and, and all of that? And, and the, the anticipation of that transition can create anxiety. I, I've sat with countless men and women uh, hours before their husband or their wife slipped into eternity. And, and sitting with them, and, and sometimes their family is gathered around them, 
as, their, as their, their spouse passes away. And as much as they're trying to comfort them, the, the thought of this transition, transitioning f- from years and years and years of living with someone they loved to now living alone. And the thought of that transition just creates all kinds of anxiety. How am I gonna do this by myself? How, how am I gonna continue to make it without, without my spouse? See, transitions create anxiety in our hearts, anxiety of the unknown. What's gonna happen after? And that's the feeling the disciples of Jesus had in John chapter 14 as we pick up the story. So remember, John chapters, chapters 13 to 17 all take place within a few hours. The scene of those chapters is the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples sharing a meal with them for the last time. He's about to go to the cross the next day and die. And so the disciples know that Jesus is not going to be with them very much longer. That transition is creating anxiety in their hearts. What's it it going to be like when Jesus leaves? We're not not ready for this transition. Jesus had given them a mission. They're probably thinking, we're not prepared. We we haven't had enough preparation. Now, we're going to talk about this today, but, but normal Jewish rabbis with their disciples would have spent 15 years preparing their disciples to become rabbis. Jesus spent three. And the disciples are thinking to themselves, there's no way that we're prepared to do what Jesus is asking us to do. That's the context that we find ourselves in, in John chapter 14. So as as we read these verses, you have to ask yourself the question, how does Jesus address their anxiety? How does Jesus address their fear? The fear of this transition, the fear that he's leaving and everything's going to change as soon as he dies and goes back to heaven. What is his answer to that dilemma? Chapter 14, let's jump into verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word there is paraclete in the Greek. We'll talk about that. So that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you fatherless, Jesus says, as we approach this transition. I will come to you. Skip down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, same word, paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jump down to chapter 15, verse 26. When the helper, the paraclete, same word, third time, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds forth from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me physically from the beginning. Skip down to chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, there it is, fourth time, paraclete in the Greek, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Skip down to verse 13. But but when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus' answer to the dilemma of the disciples, the anxiety of the disciples about this transition, is the Holy Spirit. Now, we we cannot understand John's teaching 
about the Holy Spirit in chapters 14 through 16. Unless we understand the Jewish system of Talmudim. Talmudim. Talmudim was, was a Jewish system of discipleship. It was a system in which the rabbis chose a number of students or disciples and, and developed them and, and matured them to become rabbis. Now, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Jesus didn't create this system of discipleship, but he became a part of it. Jesus wasn't the only one in the first century in, in Jerusalem, the only Jewish leader that had disciples. The other rabbis had disciples as well. There was a, there was a, a process and a system of education for, for Jewish children. And here's, here's where, the way it went. There were three phases to, to Jewish education. The first was called Beit Sefer. Beit, so Beit means house, uh, Sefer means book. So this first phase meant house of the book. This was for all Jewish children, girls and boys, ages five or six, all the way to 12. In these years, the, the, the Jewish children learned to read and to write. And the textbook was the Torah. The Torah was the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The goal of Beit Sefer was to memorize the Torah, to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Okay, come on, somebody. How many Bible verses have you memorized? <laughs> Children, by the time of age 12, would have memorized the entire first five books of the Old Testament. The very first day of class, the, the rabbi would have taken the little boards that the children were going to ride on, and he would, he would have put a, a, a doppel of, doppel, is that the right word? Is that the right word? A doppel? No. Dollop. Thank you. <laughs> Doppler's like weather, isn't it? Okay, yeah. He, 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 didn't, he didn't do a weather report, but he, but he put a little bit of honey on the board. And on the very first day of class, he would say to the students, all of them, he said, now, now students, I want you to lick the honey off of the board. So the students would giggle a little bit, and then they'd, they'd lick the honey on the board. And he'd say, now students, every time you open up the Torah and read it, that's what you're going to taste. Because the scripture says that the word of God is like honey on my lips. So can you imagine these students, the, the hunger, the desire to learn about the Torah, the word of God, and then to memorize the entire thing? Well, by age 12, after they had, boys and girls, completed the first phase of, of Jewish education, the girls went back home. Girls would have been kind of domesticated, worked with their mom in, in, in household duties. Most of the boys went back home as well, and they began to apprentice with their father in the father's business. They learned the family trade so that they could take over and make a living. But the best of the best of the best of the boys got to go on to phase two of Jewish education, which was called Bet Midrash. And Bet Midrash was uh, continuing in, in, in educating boys to be rabbis. And that was ages 13 to about 15. And you had to be chosen by a rabbi. In other words, the rabbi had to see potential in you. If he felt like you, could, you had what it took to study the scriptures and then to eventually become a rabbi, you could be approved by a rabbi to, to Bet Midrash. And then for two years, you'd go through that phase. And in that phase, they memorized the entire Tanakh, the whole of the Hebrew Bible. Can you imagine memorizing the entire Old Testament scripture? Well, that's what they did in phase two. After phase two, 
Uh, most of the boys went back home. They could either apprentice with their father or they could find another apprentice, uh, someone else, and learn a trade. Um, by the way, none of, for the most part, as, as much as we know, none of Jesus' disciples made it to Bet Midrash. They were already apprenticing, fishermen, doing other things with their fathers. They didn't make it to that level. Isn't it good news to know Jesus picks people that the world doesn't? Come on, somebody. There's a whole sermon in that somewhere. Jesus picked them and nobody else picked them because they didn't see anything in them, but Jesus saw something in his disciples. Well, the best of the best of the best could go to level three, which was Beit Talmud. And in Beit Talmud, that was a long process of learning and growing. It was a 15-year process. You had to be either chosen by a rabbi. In other words, a rabbi saw you and, and saw the potential in you. And he came to you and said, would you consider being my disciple? Or you went to the rabbi and said, hey, can I follow you? Now, remember, Jesus went out and both of those things happened. There were times people said, I want to follow you. And there were times Jesus went out and said, hey, come follow me. So Jesus was in that same process of, of, of choosing disciples to follow him. That was part of the Talmudim system of discipleship among the Jews. So after this 15 years, from, from 15 years old till about 30 years old, then these Jewish students, these disciples, would, would become rabbis. Now, Jesus only had his disciples for how many years? Three, three and a half, not 15. Jesus understood that his disciples, his 12, were not adequately prepared as disciples for what he needed them to do. So Jesus had a plan. His plan was to continue this process of discipleship by giving them the what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now becomes the means of continuing education and discipleship for the disciples after Jesus goes back to heaven. Here's how Jesus says it in chapter 14, verses 16 to 18. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you fatherless. Now, at age 15, when the, when the, the young student, the young disciple got chosen by the rabbi to follow him, it was a big deal, uh, he didn't stay home. He went and he lived with the rabbi. And he studied everything about the rabbi. He, he did work for the rabbi. He cleaned. He cooked. He carried his luggage. He carried his bags. He did everything for the rabbi to stay in close proximity with the rabbi. As a result of this relationship, rabbis were seen as fathers. Disciples were seen as sons. Let me say it again. The rabbi became like a father to the student. And the student became like a son. He, he just integrated into the rabbi's family. What is, what is Jesus' promise? I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you without a father. I will not leave you without a rabbi. But I will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He, he says, I'm, I'm going to give you another helper the word there in the Greek means another of the same kind. I'm, I'm going to give you a similar rabbi to what you've already had to continue and complete the discipleship process in your life. So I want to make a comparison this morning between what a rabbi did in Jewish culture and what the Holy Spirit does in our life because the, the Holy Spirit becomes, in a sense, that rabbi that Jesus sends to finish the work. In our lives. So if you're taking notes, you can follow along. The first thing a rabbi did, a rabbi taught the scriptures. First and foremost, a rabbi taught the scriptures. Verse 26 of chapter 14, 
The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Say, teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit is going to have a teaching ministry just like, just like a rabbi had. Now, Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was identified as a teacher. Jesus was personally addressed 90 times in the four Gospels. 60 of those times, he's addressed as teacher. People would ask him, teacher, what do you think? Teacher, 60 times. But Jesus was also addressed as rabbi, rabboni in the Greek. He was addressed as rabbi by Peter. He was addressed as rabbi by John. He was addressed as rabbi by Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And he was addressed as rabbi by Nicodemus, the Jewish leader. Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus taught all over. I'll get to that in a second. But when, when, when people heard his teaching, it says in, in, the, in the Gospels, they marveled at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching because it says, it says that he, he taught with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. There was something different about the teaching of Jesus. Jesus taught in the synagogues. Jesus taught in the temple. Jesus taught in the marketplace. Jesus taught on boats. Jesus taught at meals, at dinner time. Jesus taught on dusty roads. Jesus taught everywhere that he went. He was a, a teacher. That was the primary function of a rabbi, was to teach the scriptures. Jesus taught by explaining the law to his disciples. Jesus, he taught by using metaphor. He, he taught by using, speaking in parables. He, he used a number of different ways to communicate the truth of scripture. In essence, Jesus was simply the greatest teacher ever. He was the greatest teacher ever. So here's the question. How could it be to the disciples' advantage for Jesus to leave? Remember, Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go, go back to heaven. How is that possible if he was the greatest teacher ever? And, and the answer is simple. The teaching ministry of Jesus wasn't going to stop. The teaching ministry of Jesus was going to continue in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. But more than that, when Jesus was with his disciples, the disciples did not have access to Jesus 24-7. There were times that Jesus slept. There were times that Jesus was alone praying. There were times when Jesus went into the city by himself. There, there were times when Jesus did things without the disciples. There, there were times the disciples didn't have direct access to Jesus. That was all changing when the Holy Spirit came. Jesus is saying, the, the, the advantage is you have the teacher 24-7 at your disposal. You can interact with the teacher whenever you want because he's going to be in you and live in you. That's pretty good news. You have the, the, the teacher now living inside. So, so here's my dilemma because I hear people say this to me all the time. I don't read the scriptures because I don't understand them. Maybe that's you. I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. And my response to that is, then you are denying what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to lead you in truth. Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to teach you all things. Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to continue my teaching ministry about the Word of God, to explain to you the Scriptures. So if you say, I just don't understand anything that I read, that's not true. I would say, in fact, most things that we read in the Bible 
are easily understood simply with the help of the Holy Spirit. There, there are some things that are just more complicated, some, some things that are more complex, some things that seem to be contradictions, some things that just don't make sense to us that we need other people with training and, and experience and knowledge to help us understand. There are some things that we just can't figure out on our own and we need people to help us with that. But my contention is most things are not like that. When Jesus said God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, you can get that one, can't you? When, 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 when the word of God says a, a, a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle word pacifies contention, you, you can get that one with the help of the And then the Holy Spirit can help you understand what it means for your life. You can understand the basics of God's word. So friends, get into the word, amen? Allow the Holy Spirit to fulfill the ministry of Jesus in your life as teacher, to to teach you all things, to lead you into truth. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. Well, not only did did rabbis teach the scriptures, but rabbis applied the scriptures. Rabbis applied the truth of scriptures to life. Now remember, by this time, when when this rabbi would get these disciples, they they would have already memorized most or all of the, the Old Testament. Can you imagine? So the issue for these guys wasn't, what does the Bible say? They knew what it said. The issue was, what does it mean? How do I apply the scriptures to my life? And so the disciples, they, they moved they, they move to live with the rabbi, just like Jesus' disciples, remember? They left their nets, they left the tax collector's booth, and they went to be with Jesus because they were supposed to be in close proximity so that from the life of the, the rabbi, they could learn how to apply the scriptures. They could learn what scripture meant. So they were to watch closely the life of the rabbi to understand how to apply scripture in their life. For instance, scriptures like, you shall not work or do any labor on the Sabbath. What does that mean? What does it mean to not work? What does it mean to not do any labor? And different rabbis had different opinions about that. So you would follow your rabbi to find out what he did on the Sabbath. What did he consider work or labor? How did he interpret the scriptures? How did he live his life? And by living his life, you could begin to interpret and discern what that scripture meant. How do I walk the Sabbath without violating the Sabbath by watching your rabbi? What about marriage? In Genesis 2.24 says, for the cause of marriage, a man should leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. Well, what does it mean to leave family? What do those boundaries look like? What does it mean to become one with your wife? Well, what, is, what does that mean? And so the disciple would watch closely the marriage of the rabbi. He would, he would study the marriage of the rabbi to see how the, the rabbi interpreted the scriptures, how he began to live the scriptures. Because you can tell what a person believes about the scriptures by how, by how they live. Come on, someone. We can tell what you believe about the scriptures by how you live. If you believe it, you'll live it. And so they'd watch. What about prayer? How do we pray? Remember, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. So he would watch the rabbi in prayer. The rabbi would include him in prayer so he could see how to pray. Do you you bargain with God in prayer? God, if you do this, then I'll do that. Remember, Abraham bargained with God. How did this rabbi pray? What do we learn about prayer in the scriptures from, from this rabbi? What about fasting? The Bible teaches we're to fast, but how often do we fast? How, how much was fasting integrated into the life of the rabbi? How did he live it out? How did he interpret that passage? 
What, what about giving to the poor and helping the poor? What, what is, you know, the Old Testament Deuteronomy says, don't be tight-fisted with your money when it comes to the poor. Don't close your heart to the poor. Open your hand. In that way, God will bless you. Well, what was, how did the rabbi fulfill that, Pat? Are, are you following? So, so by watching the life of the rabbi, the rabbi interpreted or applied the scriptures. Now, here's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that you, he may be with you forever. A helper, a paraclete. I'll come back to that in just a second. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you, guide you into all the truth. Okay, that word paraclete, what, what is that? It's a, it's a forensic or legal term. It was actually a person, a person in a courtroom, a person that was an advocate, a legal counselor. It literally means someone that comes alongside to help, someone to help you na- navigate legal issues. Someone that will counsel you in, in the context of, of, a, of a trial. Have you ever watched TV or, or, or a movie and it's a courtroom scene and, and the legal counsel suddenly will turn to the, to the client and begin to whisper things to them? What, what, is, what are they saying? They're interpreting what the judge said. They're, they're, they're sharing with them what's going on in this case right now. They, they may be telling them, hey, if you get called to the witness stand, these are the things that you need to share. They're, they're being a help. They're being an advocate. They're being a paraclete in the court. They're telling them how they should live in a legal sense. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he begins to help us understand how to live our life, how to apply the meaning of Scripture to everything that we do. The Holy Spirit now becomes our guide who guides us into the truth. There are so many issues in your life and in my life that we need the understanding of the Holy Spirit to live out. What about the issue of alcohol consumption? Okay, let's, let's set at one end drunkenness because the Bible says you can't get drunk. That's a sin. But there's a wide spectrum in between that of, of what, what is accessible, uh, acceptable and not acceptable before God in terms of alcohol consumption. Can, can I drink, can I have a drink every once in a while? Can I drink every night? Can I have a couple drinks every night? Can I go out and drink in public? Can I drink socially? Do I have to keep it private? There, there's a lot of issues surrounding that. And, and as a young man in ministry, I struggled with that. Like, I want to be a good witness, I, I, but I want to walk in freedom as well. And so, Lord, what, what, how do you interpret that passage for me? And, and the Lord shared with me, he said, you know what, people, under my grace and under the, the, the new covenant, they can drink alcohol. They can't get drunk, but they can, they, they can drink. They, that's up to them and me. But for you, I don't want you to drink. I, I want you to abstain. And not only do I, not, I want you not to drink alcohol, but I want you to be loving and kind and gracious to those who do. I don't want you to be judgmental and critical and negative toward, towards those who under my leadership feel like it's okay to do that. And I have to be okay with that. It's not okay for me to drink alcohol socially, publicly. It may be okay for you, but you need to go to the teacher. You need to go to the rabbi. You need to go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, how do I interpret this text? What does it mean for me? Not my friends. And the way that you know when you're violating the counsel of the Holy Spirit is you feel convicted inside. You go out with eight friends and you all drink alcohol and they feel fine and you come home going, oh, why'd I do that? I, I, probably, I, I just don't feel good about it doing that. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, you know what, that, I, I don't want you participating. Or you overdid it, or you're doing it too much, or whatever it is. Listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit. What about a, a verse like, honor your father and mother? What does that mean? 
there's no further definition to that. How, how do we honor mom and dad? Well, if you're a child, if you're young, what does it mean to honor them? Well, as, as parents get older, we older folks have to care for aging parents, and we have to determine what does that mean for us. And, and in my case, two years ago, my dad died, and he'd been sick for a while leading up to that. So he's in California, and I'm in South Dakota. How do I honor my father and my mother being halfway across the country when he's sick and dying? What, what does that look like? And so I had, to, I had to pray and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as to how I was to interpret that verse. It doesn't matter what other people think. Mom disagreed. Mom felt like I should have been there all the time. Siblings may disagree. Siblings may, you, 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 dad's dying, you need to be here all the time. And I had responsibilities here that prevented me from doing that. I said, Holy Spirit, please show me the rhythm of this situation. I, I may catch the wrath of other people, but I want to be at peace with you. So would you just guide me in how often I need to visit dad, how often I need to talk to dad on the phone, how I can honor my father and mother in the midst of this challenge. And friends, you need to do the same thing with all of Scripture. Holy Spirit, guide me and lead me. If you're in a dating relationship, you're not yet married, you're, you're wrestling with, with issues of, of, of sexuality and, and physical intimacy, and, and where's the line? Well, like, like with alcohol, the line is, is clearly intercourse. You, you can't have intercourse, but it doesn't stop there because the Holy Spirit's going to back up and say, okay, for you, what's acceptable? W kissing? Further than that, where do you draw the line? And that's something between you and the Holy Spirit. And you will feel convicted of the Holy Spirit when you cross that line. When you go beyond what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, if you're a Christian, you'll know it. And it doesn't matter what your boyfriend or girlfriend thinks, they need to honor your convictions in the Holy Spirit. So you're honest with them and you say, this is the line. I, I, I just feel wrong when I do this. That's part of the Holy Spirit will apply the truth of Scripture in your life. I know that I'm not to be sexually involved, but what does that mean? I hope I can be honest with a, a congregation like this. We, we wrestle with this stuff all the time. How do we apply the truth of Scripture? The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will teach you all things, and he'll lead you and guide you into truth. You have the paraclete, who when you're in these courtroom situations, what do I do? He whispers to you, this is what I want you to do. Well, the third thing that, that a rabbi did was a rabbi created continuous conversation with the disciples. Rabbi's learning uh, method was questions, conversation, and debate. Here's what the scripture says. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will, he will teach you all things and remind you. Look at that. He'll remind you of what I said. The Holy Spirit is going to remind you of the truth that Christ has preached. He's going to initiate that conversation with you. Go on. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own. He will what? Not what? Speak. Say it again. Speak. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person who speaks. And Jesus said he's going to speak to you. And he's not going to speak on his own initiative. What he hears me say, he's going to speak to you. He will speak and he will disclose to you what's to come. The rabbis, as they taught their disciples, didn't do it primarily by lecture. It wasn't a one-way learning process. In other words, they didn't sit them down and just start lecturing them and say, stay awake, I've got a lot more information I want to disseminate to you. 
They'd be walking along a road and the, the rabbi would turn around and he'd say, for what reason can a man divorce his wife? And he'd wait for the response of the disciples. And then they'd dialogue about it. They'd talk about it. It was this constant sense of communication, conversation. If the rabbi had not yet settled himself on an interpretation of scripture, if he was still searching to figure out what he believed about it, he might invite all of his disciples into that conversation. Uh, This is a picture in in the the temple grounds in Jerusalem. This was very typical of what my wife Shirley and I saw when we visited there, is you would see a rabbi sitting down with his disciples and there'd be books out, maybe the Torah, maybe other books, and they'd they'd be discussing the scriptures. See, because the the, the teaching method of the rabbi was not lecture, for the most part. It was conversation, questions and conversation. And that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. The Holy Spirit continues to, to share with us and reveal to us what's to come, to, to help us with real life situations. So 11 years ago when I was interviewing for this position, the lead pastor position at Central, um, I, I had, had, had started the interview process, it was early in the process, and, and I've, I've told this before, but I didn't think I was going to get the job because I didn't think I had the credentials. I hadn't led a church staff of this size, I'd never led a church of this size, and I thought I was disqualified. I didn't send in my resume for a number of weeks. Finally, Shirlene, my wife, said, dude, why don't you just let God make the decision instead of you making the decision? Just send your resume in. If, if God doesn't want you there, he'll shut the door on it. I said, okay, so I sent it in. Got involved in the process. Early in the process, we lived in, in, a, in an apartment in California, and the laundry facility was outside of our apartment, so I had, we had to walk outside the apartment to do your laundry. So I had a basket of laundry, and I, I opened the door and walked out the door. As soon as I walked out the door, the Holy Spirit said, they're going to offer you the job. I'm looking around to see who said that. They're going to offer you the job. And, and because I was so insecure in that moment of time about th- they're not going to pick me, I said to the Holy Spirit, why? Literally, just like that, why? why? Why would they offer me the job? And the Holy Spirit immediately said two things. Because I want to bless you. That was the first. Now, let me give you a little background. I'd been in ministry for 25 years or so up to that point. Never found like I, I, I was in my sweet spot. Ne- never really felt like I had a position or a church that was really where I was flourishing. I was always looking for that place where, where God was really going to open the doors and it was going to be the right, the right place, and I'd feel blessed. And the Lord said, because I want to bless you. And then he said, and I want to do something great. And, and I knew immediately it, it had nothing to do with me. God was saying, at Central Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I want to do something great. And in the last 10 years, God's done some amazing stuff. Like, he, he's really fulfilled that word, not, not because of me, but because God had a plan, God had a purpose. And so in, in the context of taking laundry to be, to be washed, he said, they're gonna offer you the job because I wanna bless you and I'm gonna do something great. How many of you know coming here, I had a little bit of confidence that God was gonna do something because the Holy Spirit had sort of told me in advance, this is what I'm going to do. I, I was sitting with, with a few pastors a couple weeks ago we were praying together, and one of the pastors says, hey guys, can you pray for my daughter? She's having a breast biopsy today. They found a lump. And as soon as he said that, the Holy Spirit said to me, uh, she doesn't have cancer. This is an attack on him. The enemy just wants him to feel fearful and scared and distract him. 
I didn't, I didn't say that to the guy because I wasn't sure that it was the Holy Spirit. You know how you just kind of like, well, is that really you, God? Or is that just me wanting to help this guy and not be you know, upset or whatever? So I didn't say anything, but I prayed that way. Okay, God, if this is true, just cancel the assignment of the enemy in his life. Give him peace as he walks through the process. Later that day, he sends a text out to all the guys who were at that meeting saying, hey, guys, she got a clean bill of health. She got a good report. It's not cancer or whatever. The Holy Spirit, how many of you know? He talks to us. He creates conversation in our lives. Are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? That's why Jesus sent him to speak to you, to, to reveal to you the words of God, to reveal to you his purpose and his plan for your life. I do a, I do a, a prayer, a online prayer meeting every, every weekday, Monday through Friday, from 8 to about 8.15. And I do some teaching in that time. And every day when I get to the church, I get there early and I start reading and praying. And I ask the Holy Spirit, every morning, I ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to say today? And every morning as I just wait on the Lord, he, he begins to talk to me. He begins to, to converse with me. He begins to have a conversation with me. Last week, one of the days, I remember the Holy Spirit said, today is not a day to be discouraged. Today is not a day to quit. And so I'll just share, I'll just share that morning with those that are joining me online. I'll say, hey, listen, guys, today is not a day to be discouraged. Today is not a day to quit. The Lord is saying that. And inevitably, almost every day, someone will text me or someone will send me an email and say, hey, Jeff, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. Why? Me? No. The Holy Spirit. Come on. Because he speaks to us. Just like the, the rabbis created constant conversation and dialogue, he wants to get you engaged in relationship. That's why he came. And the last thing that, that a rabbi did was a rabbi produced other rabbis. A rabbi produced other rabbis. Here's what the text says. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, namely the spirit of truth who comes to you from the Father, he will testify about me. He will, he will tell you about me. He will witness to you about me. Verse 14 of chapter 16, he will glorify me. He will make my name great. He will reveal me to you because he's going to take from mine and he's going to make it known to you. The primary responsibility of a rabbi was to make himself known completely to the disciple. He had to fully reveal himself, everything about his life. The primary responsibility of the disciple was in every way to become like the rabbi. That, that was the goal. So that when you see the student, you see the rabbi. That was the goal. When you see the student, you see the rabbi because he's become just like him. Remember Jesus said a, a, teacher become, a, a student becomes like his teacher in every way. So that's the goal. There's, there's a Jewish saying, and, and it goes like this. If you find a good rabbi, cover yourself in the dust of his feet and drink of his words thirstily. If you find a good rabbi, cover yourself in the dust of his feet. What did that mean? It was a phrase from a picture of watching disciples follow their rabbi. They would follow their rabbi on a dirt road. And they were, they were following him so closely. Remember, they were supposed to be, learn everything about him. That as his sandals kicked up the dust on the road, it covered their robes. And it represented his teaching. It represented everything that he believed and stood for in the way that he lived. And they're saying, let your life be covered with the dust of your rabbi so that you're just like him. When they see you, they see the rabbi. And Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to us to reveal who he is so we can become like him. To reveal and testify about who Jesus Christ is. Make us know Jesus so we can become just like him. The Holy Spirit wants to kick the dust of Jesus' sandals all over our lives so when they see you, they see Christ, amen? When they see you, they see the rabbi. And Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. He said, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. 
till people see Jesus in you? Are you walking so intimately with the Holy Spirit that he's kicking up the dust of the rabbi all over your robe and when people see you, they see Christ? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Lord, our our prayer this morning is that like a rabbi, as we interact with the Holy Spirit, we would receive his teaching. That we would walk in the application of truth as we hear it from the Holy Spirit. That, That we would walk in intimate conversation with the Holy Spirit every day. And Lord, the desire of our heart now as we begin a new week, as we launch out from here and begin to take new steps is that we'd be so close to the Holy Spirit that our lives would be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Amen. This morning as you leave, make sure you drop your communication card and your offering in the basket and in the boxes attached to the walls. If you need prayer this morning for anything in your life, maybe something got stirred up in the context of our sermon, there's going to be folks up here that would pray with you in confidence if you need prayer. If you find a good rabbi like Jesus Christ, cover yourself in the dust of his feet and drink from his words thirstily. God bless you. Have a great day.